0: Welcome to Aquarian Diary, where we discuss issues around the emerging age of Aquarius. I'm your host, John Irving. Thank you for joining me. Greetings all. It is January 25th, 2023. What I'm discussing here today is extremely complex and deep <laughs> and 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 it's kind of like a bit of a pandora's box the more i dig into it the more elements pop up and and so it's kind of a number of streams of consciousness strung together and i'm going to do my best given the time i have right now to to do so in a manner that is coherent but please forgive me if it's not it's just that to do this subject justice you could probably write a very lengthy book on the topic but it's an important one, and I think I can effectively plant seeds of thought sufficiently that this exercise will be worthwhile. So I ask you to bear with me and forgive me if it meanders a bit or if I'm overlooking some critical components that should be mentioned but aren't. It's a very deep but important
1: subject. So thanks for that in advance. The transition from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius
0: is akin to a global scale paradigm shift. And I have talked about paradigm shifts here before. Now this paradigm shift is going to play out over centuries. But I've also made a very strong case, as far as I'm concerned, that we are definitely in that transitional phase and fairly intensely. If we simply look at how much technology has advanced everything from travel and space travel to Internet communications and broadcast technology over the past number of decades or the last few generations, these have had unprecedented implications for humanity. That is indisputable. A hundred years ago, most people spent their whole lives where they grew up, and travel was very slow and limited, just for example. Not to mention healthcare and science. And now we have even sent spacecraft beyond the boundaries of our solar system. And so, as I've explained before, when someone experiences a paradigm shift, suddenly their entire perspective and experience of reality changes fundamentally. So without dwelling on that too much, what I want to talk about today pertains to this belief or doctrine around scarcity, which has played a critical role in how society, and individual experience has been shaped for millennia. The truth is, is that there's more than enough resources for everyone on the planet to lead healthy and relatively secure lives. Of course, there's always going to be events that occur that are unexpected and beyond our personal control, and even the control of society, but for the most part, for essential sustenance and nourishment, we have more than enough if those resources were shared or distributed more equally. But they are not because, of course, some groups, organizations, corporations, and people are able to amass and concentrate grossly disproportionate wealth and influence relative to others. The argument has always been that we have to allow meritocracy to be a dispassionate arbiter, and that people who are more skilled, privileged, educated, intelligent, disciplined, creative, or whatever the case may be, deserve to succeed because that is some kind of natural law or order. Survival of the fittest. And even today, many people still subscribe to the notion of the divine right of rulers. Kings, the monarchy, where there's a mystical or religious justification to the right of leaders to have power over others. Go back not too far, and such people were treated as gods or demigods, the perfect cover for all manner of abuses of power. One of the strangest aspects of this phenomenon is that it was actually supported by the masses in many cases. And even today, in the 21st century, the British monarchy, for example, still has an almost cult-like following. The concept of survival of the fittest certainly would have applied back when we were disparate hunters and gatherers trying to survive in an often hostile environment. But we now kind of control our environment. In fact, so much so that we have substantially altered the chemistry of Earth's
1: atmospheric composition. Nonetheless, this Survival of the fittest belief, this
0: scarcity doctrine, has dominated our world for millennia. And that results in a situation where we have winners and losers, and we literally have people dying because they lack critical resources like food and water and shelter or health care. And you can argue that that is completely unnecessary because, in fact, those resources are only scarce because they are not distributed as fairly as they could be, which would avert many of those outcomes. Again, we can't avoid certain forms of natural disasters and things like that, but we can certainly mitigate them if we chose to do so. In other words, the prevailing status quo Is entirely arbitrary. Now, this survival of the fittest mentality, or what I'm going to call the scarcity doctrine, tends to favor people who are more aggressive,
1: if not hostile, and profit oriented or self oriented. This
0: mentality is vividly and gruesomely portrayed ad nauseam in popular culture, particularly film, and the vast majority of people do not even question it. Extreme levels of violence are regularly portrayed in a manner that does not remotely reflect reality. A common feature is extreme criminal violence with no accountability or repercussions whatsoever. Atrocities can be committed one minute and the perpetrator can be having dinner with his family the next as if it was just a normal day.
1: Whether it's a cop, a criminal, or a superhero, doesn't matter. Money is an arbitrary concept. People agree to accept
0: that a dollar has a certain value and the market will adjust its value depending on conditions and circumstances, but it is an abstract concept. It is not real in the sense that you can't eat it. It is an abstract representation of value. If suddenly tomorrow it was determined that the dollar had no value and you went to purchase something with it and it was not accepted as tender, it would lose all of its meaning instantly, overnight. It is only because we collectively agree to accept that it has value and that we trust its value that it is usable as a token for exchange. And if you get into investment banking, it gets much more abstract. People are basically gambling on whether commodities or stocks or futures or whatever are going to go up and down. They are not actually creating wealth or products
1: or services as most people commonly think of them. It's basically a casino.
0: Finally, we know that central banks have been engaged in manipulating the currency supply for many years.
1: Quantitative easing is a phrase we are now all familiar with, a.k.a. printing money. And significant
0: amounts of money suddenly materialized during the pandemic when there was always a dearth of funds for social programs previously. So at the very least, it is elastic. And discretionary to a fairly significant degree. In any case, I'm just trying to make the point that money is an abstract concept. Many will argue that the profit motive is responsible for innovation and that without it, there would be no innovation. I think that's total BS. Using myself as an example, Even when I am not quote unquote working, I am constantly doing things. I'm either educating myself, reading, or doing things like this, creating content. In fact, take a platform like YouTube or podcasting, for example. Only a tiny fraction of the content creators are actually making any money doing what they're doing. Everyone else is effectively volunteering their time. And you can find incredible amounts of useful information. Yeah, there's a lot of garbage, but a lot of it is very informative and useful and helpful. These social media content platforms represent possibly the largest volunteer effort in human history if you were to calculate all of the person hours that have gone into this unpaid-for content. And yes, the platforms are monetizing that, to whatever extent they can. But the content creators are typically willingly investing their time and energy to do something that maybe they're passionate about, or maybe they're just very informed about, and they feel a desire to share that knowledge and information. That's wonderful. A lot of people are trying to make money or become an influencer or something like that. But the truth is, is that hardly anybody actually profits from all of this time and think about open source software that's all volunteer people who manage discussion forums. that's all volunteer people who are organizing around their communities or volunteering for political campaigns again it's all volunteer I also personally think because I'm a creative person myself that I am motivated and I know many artists most of them aren't doing what they're doing for money. I mean, yes, they would like to get paid so they can pay their bills and so forth, but most of them are creating content because they love to create. I think it's inherent in human nature. So I'm saying that almost exclusively people are creating, whether it's music or art or innovation or invention, because they're inspired to do so, because they love it. You know, it's the same thing with authors, you know. Most authors do not make money from what they do. Take a profession like journalism. They don't make a lot of money, typically. There are tons of jobs that are just not very well paying, and yet many of the people doing them are brilliant, but they choose those careers because it's what they love to do. In other words, people aren't just motivated by money. Some people are. But I don't think that's really most people. If a company intent on making profit wants to hire someone to spend their valuable time helping them to generate profits, and maybe it's something that the person wouldn't do ordinarily or otherwise, well then of course they should be compensated. And so I think that the greatest artists and creative people, the visionaries and the geniuses, Are motivated by passion. And I think if they didn't have to compromise and spend vast amounts of time doing things that they didn't love, we would have a lot more innovation and creativity than we do now. And I don't think people are generally lazy either. But if our values were different, like I said, if we valued things that are really important, like education, healthcare, housing, people would not be compensated as they are now. For example, everyone needs to eat, and ideally we would all eat healthy food. We literally could not survive as a society if farmers did not grow food. It is fundamental to our survival. And yet these people often find themselves at the bottom of the economic ladder. And you can think of many examples like that. It could be a nurse or
1: people who provide emergency health care service or teachers, whatever the case may be.
0: In contrast, imagine that we live in a world where the number one priority is the highest quality of life for everyone on the planet. If that suddenly became the number one priority as opposed to survival or profit or self-aggrandizement, then we would manage things completely differently than we do now. People would have health care. People would have food. People would have shelter. People would have a higher quality of life. Whereas, right now, we have some people who are phenomenally wealthy, another chunk of the population with moderate wealth, and a vast amount of the population with almost none or zero wealth, and zero security. This creates the breeding ground for all kinds of conflicts, crime, calamities, and disasters that are completely unnecessary. Imagine a world where scarcity didn't exist. What would it look like? How would it be different? You wouldn't have some people at the top of the pyramid with the vast majority of people at the bottom. Many of the conflicts that we are familiar with on a regular basis would simply not exist because there would be no motivation or tolerance for them to exist. Yes, you would still need some kind of liberal democratic order to prevent lunatics and sociopaths from doing things that would cause harm to other people, but that would be part of the mindset that would have as its aim security, health, and well-being for the masses. Education would be freely available because there is no greater investment in the welfare of everyone than investing in education as well as health care and healthy environmental oversight and accountability because if the agenda was the welfare of all, things like pollution or contamination would not be acceptable because they would be in conflict with that core Agenda. Also, in a dog eat dog survival of the fittest world, which is what we've been familiar with for millennia, the people who rise to the top are often the most aggressive,
1: least ethical, and most self interested people. It tends to, as I've argued before, favor the worst kinds of people to be in positions of power and authority. Why? Because most people are consumed with
0: trying to find themselves in circumstances that will protect them in an almost warlike footing for survival. So we have to get past the survival and scarcity
1: mentality in order to create a world which will favor the welfare of all. And I'm not talking about communism. Stalinism was a horrific
0: experience that should never be repeated. And even now, if we look at China, where you have a lot of power concentrated in the hands of a few unaccountable individuals, there are many features of that system that are simply deplorable, that we would not want to emulate. The current status quo, again, favors the concentration of wealth and power in the hands of a few who have questionable motives as far as the betterment of the planet
1: and society is concerned. That is what we need to leave behind as we shift into the age of Aquarius.
0: The current system, as I've argued before, Favors the least desirable people, often ending up in positions of power, influence, and authority. And so we are kind of on this treadmill of disparity, oppression, violence, enslavement, and so on. It just keeps repeating itself. And it will continue to repeat itself until we break that pattern or that habit or that paradigm. As I've said recently, We need to stop believing in that system that fundamentally oppresses us and that rewards bad people and bad behavior. If we were to simply look at the situation rationally and and objectively, one of the first things we would conclude is that having an educated population is probably by far the best possible investment we could make for our future, and yet that is not remotely what happens. With a few exceptions, what tends to happen is that people who are already prosperous can afford to have their children get the best possible education if that's what they desire, and so ordinary people are extremely disadvantaged in this regard. So what happens is that people who have already concentrated wealth and power or influence tend to get more power and wealth and influence and everyone else continues to get less. That is an unsustainable situation. If humanity really wants to excel, we need to make high quality education available to anyone that wants it.
1: And there should be very few barriers to doing that. You know, we can look at the tax situation right now where
0: the ultra-wealthy pay a fraction as a percent of income of the amount of taxes that most people do. Again, the rich get richer and everyone else gets screwed. And that's assuming we don't go through a recession or, God forbid, a depression, where people with more marginal incomes would literally be standing in breadlines. I'm stating the obvious, but the economic system currently tends to favor people who are already wealthy by a great margin. It's not actually a meritocracy. A pure meritocracy would be the smartest, the best, the brightest, the most creative, would have the most success, but that is not what happens. Not remotely. That's a lie. The privileged are privileged in every respect. There are almost certainly people alive right now in underdeveloped parts of the world who hold the keys or seeds of, for example, solutions to clean energy, solutions that could radically alter the fate of humanity. But they may spend their entire lives doing manual labor in order to survive or feed their families, or they may be in a war-torn region or poverty-stricken region or whatever, and so that potential is never realized. And humanity, in turn, suffers by not realizing that potential. I am quite certain that occurs on a vast scale and has been occurring for centuries, if not millennia. In other words, we have all of these untapped resources the vast majority of which completely go to waste. That potential could be realized under the scenario I'm describing where we change our values and priorities from individual profit to the betterment of all, which would mesh beautifully with the Aquarian Age paradigm. And that is probably where we will end up, although it could take centuries to get there. But one of the significant obstacles to doing that is people still holding a belief in the scarcity paradigm, the one that is dying. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been feeling these huge shifts of energy lately that feel very deep and very profound and are slightly disconcerting, not because they're bad, but just because they're foreign or uncomfortable. And I think that what is happening is that on an energetic level, these shifts are already occurring. Most importantly, because those of you who are listening to me who may be powerful beings, advanced souls, I'm asking people to shake their beliefs in old, outmoded paradigms. We are still battling with those paradigms and the manifestations of them as if they are real and legitimate. And I'm arguing that they are not real, that they are arbitrary, and that they are illegitimate, that they are based on lies and mistruths, that we don't need to keep doing what we've been doing for thousands of years just because we've been doing it. And I think if we look at the results and take into account, say, for example, the situation with the Earth's ecosystems, it's extremely clear that those paradigms are an abject failure. And if we accept the evidence, which points very clearly that if we continue on our path, that our very existence is in question, then we can only conclude that the prevailing paradigms have been an utter and complete disaster. A catastrophic failure, which triggered an event which has only ever occurred five times before in the billions of years of the planet's history. And this event occurred within the span of a mere 200 years, a handful of generations,
1: completely unprecedented in scope, in scale, and in paleoclimatic history.
0: And that therefore this isn't some kind of abstract or whimsical or intellectual debate or assessment. It is a matter of survival. It doesn't get more
1: fundamental than that. The dominant paradigm has brought us to the brink of global catastrophe. So you can do your part by not buying into it
0: anymore, by questioning it and not accepting it, and opening your mind to alternatives that would allow for a sustainable and just future for yourself and everyone else. You can be a thought leader. The people who dominate and are at the top of the current Order are not going to like hearing this at all because their privilege is at stake. But as I've said before, we don't have a choice. At the very least, we have to question the current paradigm, if not radically alter it. Not only is it responsible for destroying our biosphere, it has resulted in profound inequity and injustice on an almost incomprehensible scale. So it's unethical and immoral to be aligned with the current paradigm, as well as it representing a clear and present danger to civilization itself. So I would like people to contemplate that and then begin to question others when they endorse flawed assumptions about reality you know, like that, oh, well, you have to get up and go do some crappy job you hate for a menial wage. And then if you run into some kind of a crisis or healthcare crisis or an accident or whatever, you know, you might end up living on the street. This is like something out of the Dark Ages. And we cannot allow that to persist. And it's not wishful thinking. It's realism. Those who argue for the status quo are engaged in wishful thinking because it is literally unsustainable. Literally. That is why they are desperately exploring alternatives like undermining democracy, fascism, authoritarianism, and so forth, because they... See the writing on the wall. Despite what they might claim or support, they are better informed, probably, than most people about the true state of affairs. And who will come up with and put forward solutions?
1: Them or us? Think about it. Take care. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.